Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to Outcasts with your new limited edition David Berry and mass-produced, using whatever they found on the floor that day, Tim Downey. On Outcasts today, we have just had that little bit too much Emmental before bedtime and are now locked in a sweaty fever dream where rabbits run all the world's major transport links and that Roger from Outlander is minister for everything, beginning with the letter Q. Yes, we all know him as Tricky Dicky. It's Housewives' Choice. Richard Rankin, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for joining us. Good morning, gentlemen. It's a, an, an honor and a privilege to be here. Thanks for having me as your guest. Absolute pleasure. Wow. Absolute. That's very, very dignified. I thought about that. I thought about that line. I thought, when they welcome me on the show, what am I going to say to sound sophisticated and relatively intelligent? I came up with that. I listened to many podcasts to find out what the average response was, and it was something like that. Worked on every level. I felt, I, <laughs> felt, I felt moved and included, and uh, it was nice. This is going to go extremely well, I think, if this is how we begin. Oh, don't doubt it. Well, fantastic. Well, Richard, as you know, what we like to do is to get a scene that you've chosen in mm -hmm. advance. You sent us a scene. When we received it, we were a little bit perplexed, to be honest. We were like, is Richard having, having us on? Is this the scene that he really wants us to read out? Tim, you want to go into the reasons why? Well, it doesn't include Roger. It talks about Roger, but it doesn't include Roger. I um, think that's the best way for Roger to feature. <laughs> to be fair. Almost a bit like Gatsby, as in he's talked about a lot. You don't see him. You build the tension. Where is he? What's he done? Where's he gone? Did you see him? No, I didn't see him. I did, though. But this is from episode four. Mm. Do, you, do you want to give us a bit of a run-up? Rick, as uh, to why you chose this scene. Why in Please. particular? What is it about this scene? Tell us why. Why I chose this scene. I mean, it's not entirely randomly chosen, if that's what you're going to insinuate. I haven't basically just skimmed through several episodes and thought, that'll do. Um, no, well, you wanted a scene preferably with several characters, and I thought that it might be quite fun to find a scene with... Jamie and Claire might be fun, you know, because I'd imagine you'll have a lot of fans listening and they like a bit of Jamie and Claire. Mm -hmm. um, and Brianna, because that relates more to my sort of time within the show. I didn't want to do Roger because I thought, I've had enough of him. Um, so <laughs> I thought, what other characters could we do that, that don't feature my character? Because like you said, build up the mystery of Roger. He's kind of mysterious, best kept off screen. So I thought, let's keep him off podcast too. And I remembered the scene with Jamie, Claire and Brianna, which later goes on to feature young Ian after Roger's disappeared and Brianna finds out that it was, in fact, at the hands of 
um, Jamie and Young Ian. And I remember that being a really great scene, a really intense scene, and a scene which I thought might be a good ensemble, might lend itself quite nicely to be played around with on your podcast. Those are my reasons, really. There's not much more integrity to it. Those are great reasons. You have a producer's mentality, a director's mentality, and I'm excited for it. You being the producer and the director, how about you choose, assign the roles? Right. Well, I've, I have held on the grapevine, as a grapevine of many branches, I will admit, but I have held that Mr. Tim Downey does a good Jamie Fraser, an exceptional Jamie Fraser. He does. You've, you've heard correctly. I don't know who's been whispering, or, but it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's good. It's good. I am told even that Tim Downey's Jamie Fraser will spoil Jamie Fraser for, you know, going on, going forward. No one will be able to listen to Sam Ewan's Jamie Fraser after they've heard Tim. So, Tim, I yeah. offer you the role if you want to accept it. Oh, God. Okay. Jamie Fraser Outlander. Thank you. So good to have you on board. I'll do it. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, you are doing stage directions, David? I knew it. Well... Tim and I play the rest of the parts. <laughs> no, you obviously. Who else could you have? Um, I, I couldn't think of anyone better to play Claire than you, David, other than Katrina Bauf, obviously. I, I was born to play. But, Thank you. Yeah, and I think since I actually initially back in the day auditioned for this part, um, I didn't get it, obviously. I should be playing Brianna. I don't right. know if you know that I auditioned for Brianna before Roger, but I did. I think we all auditioned for Brianna. <laughs> I did have a bash. I just wasn't tall enough. Odd. But uh, otherwise, I think I would have got it. <laughs> yeah, I, I was told the same thing. Uh, I thought they were just trying to be polite. But uh, I think they made the best choice in the end. I think so. Uh, and Murta. Who's, who's Murta? Um, I, I think you should audition for Murta, first of all. There's one line. Um, just whenever you're ready, if you could give us that one line and Tim and I will decide whether or not, you, you know, it's obviously not about ability, it's not about talent. We know that you have that, but some people just aren't right for the role, so it'll just be, you know. You can tell me if it's not going to go my way. All right. The mash will be ready for distilling within a month. Oh my God, was that Duncan McCoy? That's chilling. Absolutely chilly. I feel like I was right there. Is it supposed to be chilly? Hold your applause. Is it supposed to be chilly? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think you've got the part, mate. Thank you. Well, let's jump into it then. Shall I take stage directions? Please. Uh, and then we can always mix it up as we go along. So just to be clear, it's David Berry playing, giving you his murder. Tim Downey giving you his Jamie. And we have Mr. Richard Ranking giving you his Brie. And then obviously Mr. David Berry continuing with Claire, me, Mr. Tim Downey, stage directions. Right, so, episode four, scene 13, interior Fraser's Ridge cabin moments later, day 20. Jamie, Claire, Ian and Murta are fixing breakfast. The mash will be ready for distilling within the month. Hey, good. The next batch is almost ready for taste. Tom Burrell has already requested a cask. Do you see how effective I am as Jamie? I can't go back now. I can't go back. You can't, can you? No. You I just, you just can't. can't. That is how it should always have been. Right, so, uh, Brianna and Lizzie enter. Brie beelines for Jamie. Where's Roger? Claire looks up. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes. <Yeah>, so... <laughs> Just Roger. Continue to 
Lizzie told me that Roger came here and Jamie beat him. Gee, wait, wait, hold Jamie. the phone. Hold the phone. Where, where is this Brianna from? <laughs> well, thinking somewhere between, um, I'm thinking somewhere in the valley, you know, somewhere yeah. up there, kind of just beyond Burbank, about five miles north of Burbank, somewhere up like that. Does that not work for you? No, no. Is this based on a person that you know? Is it based on? No. Let's continue. Listen, let's not judge yet. I have cat. I do have choices. I'm coming to the table. I'm going to bring you yeah. alternatives Fair if enough. you like. I'm going to start here. Just, you know, give it a moment. Okay. We're at the top. We're going yeah. higher. That's what I've got from this. Right. She I points this at is how Jamie. Rihanna should have been played. This is it. Not a, not a problem. She points at Jamie. Ian stops mid chew. Oh, shit. I thought Roger went back. So did I, but he didn't. Did he? What did you do to him? Claire suddenly remembers something and looks at Jamie. Your hand. In her gut, she know Brianna's right. Oh my God, it's true, isn't it? I think I'll wait outside. <laughs> Come, lad. <laughs> no, he stays. He was involved in this too, weren't you, cousin? Yes. <laughs> Ian finally swallows his food. I'm glad about that. I was concerned because there's a lot of time that goes on where he's still masticating and he hasn't swallowed. It could be a choking incident. Murta's gone. It was tricky. Right. Ian finally swallows his food. Good. He nods. Murta exits. Okay. We have to... Ha- what? What is going on with that sound? Does anyone What's else hear it banging? It's a dog. And I'm going to move him. Please bear with me a moment. You Do can it. cut this. there. Okay, this this happens in, in, in takes. This has happened before where animals interrupt sequent scenes. I mean, um, I wouldn't have much of experience with that, obviously. It goes without saying. Um, but uh, he's running around. He's running have, around. You, you have no, I have experience with that. Um, uh, 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 oh. Sorry, I, I... What? That wasn't my fault. <laughs> I, I literally have no idea what went on there, but I believe a dog was moved from one place to another <laughs> swiftly. You should cut that. You should cut. That. We will. We'll. We'll. Yeah. I mean. It, I mean. One. Wonderful. That. That is live podcasting for you. That right there. That's what's exciting. <laughs> is animals come in, they leave. You know, they want. I want. And some they don't. They don't. They don't even care. They. They have they no just, consideration. They, they have no care. They have no appreciation for the art. Unbelievable! In the middle of your Brianna as well. Right in the middle of my Brianna. What the hell? Just before, I mean, I was writing character for Jamie for his next for his next bit there, and now I'm thrown. I'm thrown by some sort of rogue canine. <laughs> I apologise, guys. I realised I've destroyed the flow, and I apologise. <laughs> Not at all. We'll pick it up. We'll pick it up, everyone. We'll pick it up. Okay. Has Ian swallowed his food? Okay. Yes, Ian swallowed his food. Good. Um. Ian finally swallows his food. He nods. Murta exit. Jamie, what have you done? Aye, I gave the man a beating. If it was your historian, then I didn't ken it. You did see he left here. Even so, if he ravaged you, as Lizzie said, then... He didn't. Lizzie was wrong. A beat of silence as Jamie processes that. He didn't abed you. No. I mean, yes, yes, he did, but I wanted him to. We were hand fast, and then we fought, and he left, and... <laughs> you're... <laughs> you're bedded him for lust. Your city ripped you of your virtue. He's disgusted. He mistakenly thinks it has been just one man. I nearly killed the man. 
to think I was defending your honour, and now come to find your claim to have been violated upon finding yourself with child. I've become a bit country, I've realised. A little bit sort of Highlandy, almost too much, or or even slightly uh, <laughs> Lancashire, um, which may have been a may have been a mistake. Maybe uh, my lack of accent. I really killed a man. I did to think I was defending your honour. And now, come to find you, claim to have been violated. <laughs> I'm finding yourself with child. Aye. Gives it a certain flavour. I think it's good, though. I think the genuine thrust is there, and I think that's important. Right. Upon And upon the way, obviously, because this would be the next thing that I would do after that staggering performance for myself, Brianna slaps him, as well she should. And this time, he isn't ready, and he doesn't catch her hand. Young Ian watches in shock, having finally swallowed, and is <laughs> not anywhere near a choking incident. He has swallowed his food good. And he yes, watches safe. With, with, with shock. Ian is safe. The thrust of this scene has been, is Murta going to make whiskey? Is Ian going to swallow? <laughs> and both of those things thus far have been proved correct. The uh, side issue of Bree being violated will now be addressed. I was violated, you self-righteous bastard, by someone else. You beat up the wrong man. Silence. Jamie realises his mistake and instantly hates himself. Brianna is crying now. Claire goes for her. Jamie knows Claire isn't in his corner right now. He's devastated by his error. To Claire, as it drew. Claire is nodding now, by the way. I'm sorry, lass. Go to hell. I'll make it right. My world as your father. My father would never have said the things you said to me. He was a good man, and you're nothing but a savage. Jamie knows the relationship is broken, maybe for good, but he needs to know if it wasn't Roger. Then who? Claire sets something on the table. Bit vague. Him. <laughs> ah, right, sorry, I didn't read on. It's the ring. Her <laughs> ring. <laughs> I should have read on. The key to Lallybrook. Brock. Uh, the one Bonnet stole from Claire in episode 401. Jamie stares at it instantly comprehending the implications, horrified. Bonnet. Oh my God, yes. Now where the hell is Roger? Young Ian stammers. We haven't even cast young Ian. I got, I got young it. Ian? I, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to jump in. Do it. Go for it. Go. Give me your young Ian. Wait, the mohawk. <laughs> it oh, sounds no. like Oliver Twist. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, Tim, Tim's young Ian. Sorry. <laughs> Give me one more chance. Yeah. It's the first words he's uttered since Bree entered. We know why. He was choking on food. Yes, he was eating. <laughs> he was eating. He was all consumed. I think that's the thrust of that. And uh, yes, young Ian continues. I sold him to the Mohawk. <laughs> I'm, I'm really sorry. Every time I, say, I speak in a Glasgow accent, it's going to end with me just descending into laughter. I'm sorry, everyone. Oh, sorry, did you say a Glasgow accent? That was your, I, I, it, it was a nothing accent. Specifically, I, I know that was an overstretch. That was an overstretch. <laughs> it, 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 let me con, let me confess something, and this is no disservice to John Bell. Whenever I see John Bell, I see a young Oliver Twist. He just has the, that kind of angelic appearance, and, and in my head, I make that that those my synapses misfire, and I make that connection. Well, I I, I offer you this. I put this on the table before you. How about? As we're playing, exploring these characters afresh, Please. how about Directly. if young Ian was actually Cockney? If somehow through his childhood he was, he was adopted by someone from London and he has a Cockney accent. It's a stretch, I'm but I feel I'm like it's that. the only way it's going to work. I think it's in my All way. Right. I think this is, right. this is fabulous. 
this is going to be used somewhere. Uh, this, this is wonderful. So shall we take it back for you? Okay, uh, take it back, please. Give me a lead in. I would love to. Let's take it from Jamie's bonnet and then right. Bree and then young Ian Stammers. And then with that new knowledge that we are all party to on this podcast, which is very exciting, we'll go straight in. David, I'm very excited for you. Got a lot of backstory there. That should be good. Should be tremendous. Can we just really emphasise stammers? Can we make that really clear for the audience? Absolutely. I'm open to your direction. Thank you. Thank you for that direction. Okay, so here we go. So Jamie stares at it. This is the ring. Jamie stares at it, instantly comprehending the implications. Horrified. Bonnet. Yes. Now where the hell is Roger? Young Ian Stammers. Eric with the mohawk. Fabulous, goodness me, that's oh, it's like it's like it's like hearing a young Colin Firth. I mean, honestly, that was um, it's the first he's uttered since Brianna entered. Still remembering the stammer, young Ian. <laughs> I, I sold him to the mohawk. Oh my god, it's amazing. <sighs> I think we've just witnessed some next level stuff here today. You don't think, you know, you know. This is sensational. I have a tear. I mean, I often have a leaky eye in the morning anyway, but I have a tear rolling down my cheek for David Berry's young Ian. In fact, I want to hear more. I think we should find a a scene with more young. Anyway, I think. (laughs) I'm spent. I'm spent. Could you give me that line once more, please, David? I, I sold him to the Mohawk. You sold him? Ian looks to Jamie. Help me out here. Without warning, Brianna punches Ian in the face, drawing blood as end scene. Gentlemen, that was uh, a journey. Wow. We went on a journey. I feel I have really gone somewhere today. I feel Sophie Skelton may never talk to me again, but I think it was worth it for the art. I think for the for the art for the the sheer joy of that uh, of that scene and some new things that people may not have got from viewing the original scene, I think we've added a few little elements that will just only enhance and enrich your viewing pleasure. Yeah, and like you say, that I mean that was I forgot to mention one of the reasons why I chose the scene was the suspense, the tension which is built throughout not knowing if Marta is going to make that whiskey and if Ian is going to be able to swallow. Yes, Rich. yes. That's the driver of the scene. People may have thought it's Jamie and where is Roger? Could have been sold to the Mohawk. It's not. The drive of the scene is, is Murter going to get his whiskey? Is Ian going to finish that, I believe, porridge? So that's our gift to the listening public. Uh, a little extra, little extra something there, a little extra. I've got to ask. So after we finish this scene, what usually happens is the director mm-hmm. comes to you, if you're lucky, and says, how do you feel about it? How did you feel? about reading Brianna specifically. Is that something you've always dreamed? Um, that's something that I dream of on an almost nightly basis. Um, especially when we're filming, we're on set, I come away and think, I could have done that much, much better. And I have often asked the director on set if I could have a go at it. Just even if, like, if you're not, if you're not going to put it on camera, if you're not at least going to shoot some B on it, then at least let me demonstrate how it should be, and then we can move on. But then it never goes too well. Often people find it insulting, and I'm not about offending people. I'm just all about making the scene the best it can be. I want to collaborate creatively with everyone, even if that means you know getting in the skin of the character of the other actor I'm working on set with. I don't find it offensive. I just, you know, we're all there to do great work, and whatever gets us there, really, at the end of the day, 
Uh, yeah, yeah. So you're one of those actors that like to give notes to other actors. I don't. I like to suggest notes, not give them. Offer. Mm. <laughs> I'll hold them here. Here's my note in my hand. You can come over and you can have a look at this note. Mm-hmm. You can take it if you don't. Which just says do it better. It usually just says, <laughs> usually says be better. You're not going to do that on the day, are you? Just a casual suggestion. <laughs> well, if we're giving a note, who are we giving a note to? I'm up for notes. Tim, are you up for notes? I'm always up for notes. I mean, I don't need them, but I'm always up for them. <laughs> Richard, I don't even know if you've seen either of us act, um, but we are on a show with you called Outlander. And um, right. we would really love, I think we would benefit from any notes that you could give either Tim or I. From scene 13? No, just in our work in general or scene 13. Don't limit yourself. Or your work in general? Please. Oh, God. I feel too much pressure because there's so much. There's just so much to get through. Well, either there's so much to get through or there's so much potential within both of you. But even still, you know, um, creative potential and potential output of just really great work that I couldn't. I don't want to be responsible for steering you in the wrong direction because you are both such great, talented actors. If you were shit or mediocre, I would give you notes all day knowing that it probably wouldn't make a difference. But I know that my notes to you may may influence you on your creative journeys. And I am not in a position where I want to take on that responsibility because apart from anything else, you're both friends as well as colleagues. So I can't do that. Well, yeah. we're, we're all very self-congratulatory. Um, congratulate. Tory here, aren't we, Tim? Oh, okay, we'll give you one note, and it's on diction. Great. Yes. <laughs> so oh, this again. Coming on to a podcast. <laughs> Congratulatory. A little vocal warm up and some articulation exercises would work for you, David. Well, that takes that me back to drama school. Because you're coming across, you, you sound a little Australian. Um, I don't <laughs> you, oh, yes, you also sound a little Aussie. <laughs> if we could just make that less so. Did you go to drama school? Yes, in Glasgow, yeah. Okay, and what was that experience like for you? What, what, take us through drama school. Where where were you as a young actor? Oh, now you sound like a journalist. Um, where was I as a young actor? What, what, what was... See, I, don't, I thought it was really bizarre at first, in first year specifically. I, I was. Uh, I remember doing my first... Both my first movement class and my first vocal class, my first voice class, and thinking, what am I doing because movement class, for anyone who's never done a movement class, well, I'd imagine most people who are actors and haven't done any sort of drama school, they 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 they, they like you to. Uh, it's about um, it's about getting being clear of your inhibitions and being more aware of your body, being more aware of the physicality of your body. And to to do that, you go through various exercises, and some of them are really silly, varying from researching and inhabiting an ape for example we often do animals at drama school and also just some really silly exercises to free yourself up of kind of inhibitions and tensions and some of the things you do can be throwing yourself around the floor getting into some really sort of um some really strange um awkward sort of positions with your 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 fellow classmates um to do various sort of still tableaus and things like that they're very really weird exercises especially in first year and it is about it is mainly about being you know comfortable with each other and kind of dusting away those kind of inhibitions that you're going to have especially as you first walk through the door voice class as well i remember finding particularly strange because i didn't see the point in most of what we were doing i didn't see the point in it and I questioned it and I thought, 
this isn't for me. This isn't this. I don't know what I thought I was about to start doing. I don't know what I thought I was about to start studying, but this, this isn't it. I just want to be an actor. But now I realise, you know, in hindsight, reflecting back on all all of that stuff, especially the stuff in first year, um, yeah. I realise the importance of it. I realise the foundation that that was laying. I really, genuinely do real um, understand how important. All of that vocal and, and movement and physical work is to character. You're basically laying the foundation of yeah. um, bringing yourself to a point where you can be more creative. You understand the process that goes into a character physically and vocally, if that makes sense. I've just rabbled and tried to put first year in its entirety into a nutshell. I relate 100% to what you said. I don't know about you, Tim, but from my personal experience, my first year in drama school, um, I spent, I think it was two months doing animal work where I had to get in the ins and outs of being a, a cane toad. And the way that we got to that is that we were can we you talk about cane toad and explain yeah. what a cane well, toad is? Well, I will. Is okay. So we had movement class. We always had to do the strange thing of putting on tights. I, I never really enjoyed that, but I don't know. That's beside the point. First year, one of the topics was you had to do animal work. And so uh, we got assigned animals. And this sounds a little bit kind of a humble brag, but I'm going to say it anyway. You had to choose something that was the opposite of what you are, because that's what first year is all about, trying to expand your horizons and, and stretch yourself as much as you can. And my teacher said, you have to find the ugliest thing possible, <laughs> which was kind of a nice um, compliment to me. It's like obviously saying that, well, I'm not the ugliest thing imaginable. Which is but absolute so- antithesis to you, yes, obviously. Yes, I told you it sounded like a terrible humble brag. David Berry. Thank you. I get you. Thank I you. can see that. I didn't want to lead you to that logic, but there you found it yourself. So I had to find the ugliest thing. So we went to the Taronga Zoo in Sydney and I was looking for animals and I found a cane toad. A cane toad is a species of toad that looks, it's disgusting. And I don't know, you look one up on the internet, you'll see it. They're a major pest here, in, mostly in Queensland. But I spent two months just hunched over as a cane toad trying to figure out animal work. Two months? You spent two yeah. months as a cane mm. toad? Mm-hmm. Yeah, two months. That is absolutely extraordinary. It, remind, it reminds me that those first years of being different animals or being a tree, the classic. You're an actor, mm-hmm. you're being a tree and kind of, you know, either like uh, you're, you're, an old, you're a young tree, you're a sapling. You're growing, you're growing. You're now sort of yes. a, you know, a middle-aged tree. You're now sprouting. It's spring, it's summer, it's winter. Oh, it's winter. Now you're an old tree, all that kind of stuff. But the main one that I remember was a period movement class oh, where wow. we had this very old period movement teacher who... Um, what's a period like movement class? Yeah. Hold, on. Wait, wait, hold on, what's yeah. a period? That sounds like something that you don't do in, in a UK I never had those classes. You never had period movement. No. It was was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. And she would say, right, okay, you're now going to do like a restoration piece or a Shakespeare piece or something, something like that. How would you move? How would you walk and things and things of that nature? And it was very useful. Apart from this one lesson where she said, and she had, um, she looked like Dame Barbara Cartland. And if you know what Dame Barbara Cartland looks like, she's kind of like painted, painted white face, sort of blue rinse hair, almost wearing like a kind of rough, very high neck sort of Victorian dress, that kind of thing. Woman in her late 70s. And just say, okay, so so now the ladies will walk around the room <laughs> and it's winter. And of, of course, when the ladies walk around the room, they would be carrying, they would have lots of accessories, hats, uh, 
shoes, gloves, uh, the like. And of course, she would also carry her muff. <laughs> and we went, what? What? Because obviously, the ladies would obviously, it's winter, would would carry their muff. <laughs> right, and what? And what? You know, obviously, then you start going, okay. And what? What do? What do they put in their muff? Well, the ladies obviously put their hands in their muff. <laughs> right, right, okay. And can can other people put their hands in their muff? Oh well, I don't. Well, it, it, it depends. A very cold winters, so um, if you met a male friend, he obviously could put his hand in your in your muff. Um, <laughs> if it if it meant to to keep warm, obviously being very cold, she obviously just didn't get it. So we were just going on and on and on about sort of saying, do you, are they different sizes? What are they? What, what does it kind of feel like? <laughs> well, they can obviously vary. Uh, some can be, some muffs can be very smooth. Some are uh, very hairy. Uh, uh, all depending on what animal, of course, they are. And this, I mean, this, this has stuck with me for 20, 20 plus years because it was just oh, the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And I loved every, every second of it. Um, so, yeah, that was my, that was my experience. God bless you know, it's her. interesting you said about um, period movement because I was looking at a picture of what I was doing yesterday and, and what you were doing. There's a picture of you and Tim and I side by side and I was looking at our body language. Hands behind the back. Hands behind the back. That's all you have to do um, to do, achieve period movement, I reckon. She should have taught you that in one class and you could get through any period piece. If you're a man, just hands behind the back. Kevin O'Trion, hands behind the back. Lord John, yep. hands behind the back. And you don't have to worry about yeah. your, what your hands are doing. I don't know what Roger's doing though, because you have to worry about your hands. That's one thing I think is an act that you're always thinking about is your hands, right? What or are you don't. doing with your hands? Or, or don't. don't. Try not to be too aware of them, but I know exactly what you mean, especially early on um, as you're sort of working on your craft, as you're developing as an actor. Mm. That's one thing. As soon as you're put on stage the first sort of few times or on television, if you're, if you're doing that, as you become extremely aware hyper aware of your extremities all of a sudden you're like, oh my god i have hands oh my god <laughs> why what are they doing why are they, what what do i normally do with these with these with these limbs where should they go and my pocket yeah that's cool i look pretty cool now um nope that's not gonna work i need to vary this up somehow and then you start trying to think of other things to do with your hands and they become yeah. you, you you become super aware of them i think the trick is to Sounds really strange because someone says think elephant, you think elephant, but try not to be aware of your hands. Or yeah, no. use, that's a good note. I don't know, but <laughs> they do become these massive things. I think before you know, I think before you sort of develop the experience that they should be there. They should just be there. They should. Yeah. yeah. I remember I was doing a, doing a show, doing it was a period show, or I couldn't put my hands behind my back, and um, I was putting my hands in my pocket. And apparently that was a no-go zone. You couldn't put your hands in your pocket because apparently people didn't use pockets back in the 50s. And I, I just couldn't understand that logic until I finally found out the re half the reason they didn't want me to use the pockets because the costume department didn't like what it looked like when you put your hands they in your pocket. They never do. They never, they never ever do. do. No, no. So there yeah. you go, acting 101. Mm. We've learned today, I believe, uh, something you should you tackle early on is learn how to use your hands. <laughs> Absolutely. And you can put your hands in a lady's muff if she lets you. That is what I took from that. And if it's extremely cold. And if it's extremely cold. That I cannot stress enough. Anything else, that's, uh, that's, that's dubious. But in a period piece, absolutely, that's a go. 
but not preferably not in your pockets if you're asking the costume department. Absolutely. I think the great artist of our time who has obviously heeded that is uh, Jeff Goldblum, who is oh, a constant... Yeah, but he's great. His hands... It's, to, it's always to be emphatic, isn't it? It's always to yeah. be... He, he's just, he does it in... Well, I mean, it's a very Jeff Goldblum way, isn't it? It's very unique to him. Very, very much is. I mean, you just look at Jurassic Park. That man could not be further away from a pocket. Uh, whereas <laughs> Sam, Sam Neill, one hand in the pocket. Yeah. That's another way to watch Jurassic Park. See who's got their hands in their pockets. And Actually, who has anything. Outlander, watch it. Who's got the hands in the pockets? Who's got the hands behind the back? Who's doing what yeah. with the hands? All it's a whole different charts, according to David Berry, all of them well, have their hands behind their back. Well, if, if they're English, <laughs> if they're English and performing to a horrible cliche, then they, me, I exclude you, Tim, from that. They've got their hands behind their back. Thank you. Like me. Well, that's, that is now what I'm going to be thinking the next time I do any sort of period character when my go-to will be to have my hands behind my back. I'm going to think, no, this is just not good enough. This is not going to cut it for today. I, I now know that this is a default setting, especially of David Berry's, and I'm going to try and be a bit more creative with it and come up with something better than just standing yes. here with my hands yeah. behind my back. That's no criticism of you or your performance <laughs> or the, your generic period mode, but I'm just going to try and be better. So you have inspired me from this moment on. If you ever see me in a period piece... I'm going to give you something, and it's going to be yes, yes. a credit to you, David. Oh, See, that's you. that's good, and we mustn't forget as well within the period piece the different hierarchies. So, for instance, if you're <laughs> clergy, you don't put your hands behind your back; you put your hands in front. Right. Uh, and if you're, say, like an abbot, you would have your hands higher. Does this, this come from uh, someone who's played, played member of the clergy? Do you know what? I don't, <laughs> I don't want to throw names around, uh, but I'm going to. Uh, <laughs> when I was in Wolf Hall, that's right. When I was in Woolful with Mark Rylance, that's right, we did a period class. And it was mainly to show us uh, how the Tudors bow, because you would assume you bow forward, but the Tudors actually bow backwards. So they kind of put their weight on the back and then kind of bow down and then come back. So we learn all these kind of little things and about where hands go for different hierarchies and different stratas of society. Nobleman, hands behind the back, clergy, hands in front. If you're a higher up, a, you know, a cardinal or something, you hold your hands higher. There's a whole kind of thing about it. But again, the best thing that I got from it was that the Tudors used to eat everything on toast. So right. they would present this incredible goose or this great feast. <laughs> and you go, that looks absolutely magnificent. I can't wait to really, really get involved in that. And they would take it away to the, to the cupboard, to the cupboard. They would take it to the cupboard which is a table where they would literally keep cups because you weren't allowed anything on the table, the cup board, the cupboard. They would right. cut it up into little squares and put everything on toast, then bring you back. And so you would reach in and take, and so everything was eaten on toast. How amazing is that? That's brilliant. Isn't that incredible? That's so those kind of classic things like, out. yeah. Freshly caught piece of this leads me to another question. Look, I don't like to sound like a journalist, Rick, but we like to take you through the, who, what, why, where, when, how on this show. I like to ask people what they eat for breakfast. Do you know, that causes me endless amounts of stress in the morning because I like yeah. to try and vary it up. I like to try and have, you know, change things up in the morning. I know that there are a whole, you know, smorgasbord of things available to you in the morning. Um, and I like to try and... Not just toast. No, not just toast. Not just toast and roast duck, for example. Um, <laughs> exactly. 
But you know, at that point where the runner comes in, I'm usually in makeup because we're usually yeah, most of my days on Outlander on season five started really, really quite early. In fact, pre-breakfast, so I was often sitting in makeup. One of our runners would come in and ask what we want for breakfast, and it would always really stress me out. So I would open it out to the floor to see what everyone else thought I should have for breakfast. <laughs> I'm quite suggestionable that way. Sophie would often suggest... Communal suggestion. Yeah, like scrambled eggs and toast. And go, oh, that's a good idea. Does anyone have a better idea? Because I'm really shit at deciding what I'm having for breakfast. That sounds really weird, I'm sure. But yeah, why? I want to get inside I'm the very, psychology. Why are you very speaking about it? I should really speak to someone about it. I don't know why. Yeah. Well, speak to I us. I'm qualified. <laughs> Tim, are you qualified? Somewhere I'm, I'm more than qualified. <laughs> But I think I think generally, when presented with too many options, I can be quite indecisive. It's like I will sit, stare at net, the Netflix menu for about an hour. I'll have an hour and a half to watch something good on television and spend an hour of that hour and a half trying to decide what it is that I should watch. Because there's too many things. I've seen myself Google, what should I watch on Netflix? Because I can't decide. And I'll look up top 20 shows right now to watch right now, not top 20 shows ever or top 20 shows of the past decade, but top 20 shows right now in Richard's living room to watch on Richard's television. Often that returns zero results, but I will try. I don't don't think you're alone in that. I have the opposite problem in the morning. It's not about how many things to choose. I kind of know what I want to choose. My problem is actually saying what I want a lot of the time. And I feel slightly embarrassed about it because it is a little bit of an embarrassing thing to ask for. It's very specific. I like to have an egg white omelet, but with a specific number of eggs. It's got to be five egg whites and it's got to have peppers, onions, and no cheese and whatever vegetables they can throw in. And you throw that to the caterers at Outlander and you just hope that they're going to, first of all, take that order without any level of like, contempt for your particularity and actually understand what you're asking for. Because as I've come to discover that the food in Glasgow is not the best. It's not really the same kind of thing that I've come to expect in Australia. Depends where you eat, mate. Remember, well, you are speaking to a Glaswegian guest on your show. I am um, speaking to it and, and I think- where you go. And it depends <laughs> on, you know, what your particular tastes, obviously. And um, Well, if I, I were to ask you for a really for- hard- Please, for example. So, you know, we won't get into (laughs) (laughs) Glasgow has some of the finest food in the UK. We have one of everything, (laughs) one of every cuisine here in Glasgow. You can have a great Mexican. No, you can't. You can't have a great Mexican. (laughs) Okay, nearly, nearly everyone. In the end, though, you can have great Italian food. You can have great French food. You can have great Japanese food. You can have great traditional fare all in Glasgow. All on the same bloody street, mostly. It's all in Finiston, really. But some of the best food I have eaten. So I take no offence. Everyone's entitled to their opinion, David. <laughs> but I'm just saying, I'm giving you some examples. See, this is clearly what's happening. I'm asking for a five egg white omelette and causing offence to very sensitive Glaswegians who are very proud well, of their food. And, and coming back with, I, I usually, I open it up, but it's it's nothing what I've asked for, but I'll eat it happily. The one thing I really, I really like, I usually go full English because I don't mm. usually have it here. So I always think I'm on holiday, even though I'm working, so I'll have a full English, regardless of what I'm doing, regardless <laughs> of it. What if I'm hungry, regardless of the fact of even if I want it, even if it's nice, but one of the best things, actually, about filming in Scotland is my dad. My dad's Scottish. My dad's from Edinburgh, so I have been brought up on brown sauce, 
Mm. So in other words, when they say, do you want a sausage sandwich or a bacon sandwich or something like that? In England, they'll usually say, do you want ketchup? No, I don't want ketchup. Why on earth would I want ketchup with that? Whereas in Scotland, they'll say, would you like brown sauce? Yes, I absolutely would. That's how you have a sausage sandwich or a bacon sandwich, bar none. Whereas down here, they don't do it. Up north, yes, they do. And that's my. Uh, that's probably why I go for full English all the time when I'm up on the Outlander set. Because you go, yep, yeah, brown sauce, fabulous. Yeah, I'm often confused when I see people asking for or choosing to put ketchup on their bacon sandwich because I think that's not one of the ingredients of that dish. And you're absolutely right. It goes with chips, not a problem. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it doesn't, my it doesn't go. Oh, you my need that vinegary tang. I, I am just in the wrong company here. I don't. First of all, I don't even know what brown sauce is, and I have to say, when I, I was perplexed when I came to the British Isles and at the food choices. I, look, I don't want to go too far in this topic about the food and, and Glasgow, but I was astonished to see how many things you could get fried in Scotland, including but not limited to pizza and Mars bars. Amazing. Have you ever tried a deep fried Mars bar, though, David? I have. I have. I have. It's, Look, um, it's incredible. Although I will say, halfway through a deep fried Mars bar, as incredible as it is, you can feel literally in the moment, feel your blood pressure rise. Yeah. You can feel blood pumping through your body. It's your heart. If you were, feel- it's the halfway through. If you were asked the moment you thought you had diabetes, <laughs> it, it was, I think I could almost, I could, I could place it to a time and a place yeah. and everything. You know, middle of the Edinburgh Fringe. It was probably about three in the morning. And I think, I think I suddenly got diabetes then. That's <laughs> usually when most people get it. <laughs> uh, okay. But um, in answer to your question, David, I would normally have some sort of eggs, scrambled eggs, eggs. poached eggs. Okay. So you've had the eggs, you're in costume. You've got a scene. Let's say you've got a big scene. What's your into this character? What are you doing? Well, uh, I mean, that's, that's, it's quite a broad sort of uh, uh, question. I want to lift I mean, the curtain a bit. I want to see what's inside Richard Rankin's process. Uh, well, I think the process when you're when you're coming to your I don't know what your, your third or fourth season and something how you prepare for your character, how you take your character through a scene and you know your process through that's very much different to if you're coming on to something for the first time or if you're coming on to mm-hmm. something as you know a guest or if you have one episode or something i think the process is very different because i think you prepare your character differently i did a lot of work back in season two before i started um for the season two finale at uh, roger first appears in episode th- um 13 of season two which is the um, the ultimate episode of season two. Um, and I did a lot of work, I did a lot of research on the character, a lot of prep, I did a lot of work. I actually took myself off to Inverness, which is where Roger was f- from, where he was brought up. Um, spent a couple of weeks there. To, I even rented a tiny little single bedroom. And I mean single bed, it's a British single bed, which is the, the width literally of a person. Not an American single bed, which is basically our double beds. Um, but, you know, it's a tiny little box room. And I went and I did a lot of work on my accent, my vocal work, because Roger, well, when I started with the character, he did have an Indonesian accent. I don't know what his accent is now. I think it's, I think, yeah, I think sometimes I forget to keep in mind that he's not Glaswegian. Um, but I did a lot of vocal work. I did a lot of work um, on... Well, a lot of character building, a lot of what makes him him. What does he do? So he's an assistant 
professor of history at Oxford. So he's going to be an orator. He's going to be good at speaking. He's going to be speaking often in front of um, large classes. He's going to be giving lectures. So I looked up a lot of, this might sound silly, but a lot of um, uh, recorded lectures at places like Oxford and Cambridge and lectures giving good talks on things and how, well, on, on how they on how they presented themselves physically and vocally and what how is that different in that room to... You know, how does that change from place to place? How does that change when he's at home? How does that change when he's at work? And mm-hmm. how does this former person? I mean, I'm taking you through, there are many, many, many elements to, to, to how you build and approach your character, right? But, but, but this is essentially where I started with Roger. The music of the time, the social situation of the 60s, um, what was going on um, at those times, and these things all inform your character. So I think when, basically what I'm trying to say is once you've done a lot of that sort of groundwork, which I suppose you could say is essential groundwork to any character, it just depends on how much you want to put into it, then that's mm-hmm. going to stay with you up until you know season five. You just have to remember the things that have affected you, that have affected your character throughout his journey up until that point. Um so to, to to lift the lid on Roger, I think at this point it's quite uh, quite a quite a, I want to say quite a complex thing, just because we're so far into it now, and I think it's a slightly mm-hmm. different thing. Um, but also, as 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 you know, it depends on the scene that you're about to do, right? It depends mm-hmm. on on what's required of you in the scene that you're about to film. Is it a particularly emotional scene? Do you have to take yourself away? into sort of uh, solitude and quietness and really sort of kind of uh, be quite sort of, uh, you know, within yourself. Some scenes require that of you. If you know that you have to be in quite a vulnerable or open state, then I think the last thing that, I mean, all actors are different, right? We all have our own ways of approaching a scene and we all have our own ways of how we get to where we want to be. Um, But, you know, I think if I'm going to be doing quite um, uh, an emotionally taxing or vulnerable scene, then the last thing I want to be doing for the scene is jumping around, having a laugh with, you know, my my co-stars and colleagues. As Richard, that's the first thing I want to be doing is standing around a lot, having a laugh with Tim Downey and David Berry. But for my performance, I think I have a responsibility to prepare myself mentally for what it is I'm about to do. But sometimes, as you know, you'll get scenes that are like half a page that you know that you can go on set with. Actually, there are scenes where I will have a quick look at the night before and think I can do that on the day. I'll take that on to set with me. That might seem a bit complacent, but there are those scenes that you can just go on. I think um, think this is something that maybe is a hang up of people who are trained, you know, absolving yourself of that responsibility and that burden of thinking that you have to prepare everything about this character. I remember reading somewhere like Gregory Peck, he used to get scenes where he'd write AR and then other scenes where he put NAR and that meant AR means acting required and then NAR means no acting required. Like one of those half page scenes where you just come in, you have no and what he meant by acting is sort of like what you described, getting all that extraneous stuff that you need to for character research and all that kind of stuff that you hoped can bring and enrich the character and bring something to the screen, but sometimes doesn't always appear Absolute, on the screen. Well, yes, absolutely. I think sometimes you can always get too involved in certain things. I'm remembering uh, something that happened to a friend of mine. A friend of mine was told, I think he was doing some Shakespeare, and was told to do a bit of method acting, go out into the community 
and be the character. Be the character in the community and see how people react to you. And then you can kind of gauge how other actors will react to your character and that kind of thing. So off he went. Uh, and this was in North London near the Wood Green Shopping Centre. So he went off into the Wood Green Shopping Centre, be the character, come back in an hour and tell us what's happened and uh, you know, talk about your experience. An hour comes and goes, he's not there. Two hours comes and goes, we're starting to worry. Three hours comes and goes, okay, this is now quite serious. He hasn't returned. So we send out someone, I think one of the teachers or one of the lecturers, make some phone calls. But anyway, they go into the office and there's a policeman there with said actor who was pleading, saying, I'm an actor. I'm an actor. And his part was to be sort of like a petty thief. So he had gone into an Asda, looked suspicious and tried to kind of pretend to steal a frozen pie. The security people had said he looked suspicious and uh, arrested him. And he was trying, and then basically he said, yeah, yeah, we, we get a lot of that around here. I'm an, I'm an actor, I'm an actor. There's a drama school, obviously. Next door. I'm an actor, I'm sorry, I'm an actor. I'm doing a part, I'm trying to create something. Uh, I'm sorry, I haven't tried to steal the uh, the Frey Bentos. I wouldn't do that, I'm an actor. Yeah, yeah, of course you are, mate. And uh, yeah, he was quite he was quite distraught. And it took a long time to convince people that he was an actor. The upshot of this is that he wasn't good enough. Because <laughs> if you were really a good burglar or a thief, you wouldn't have got caught. Or you wouldn't you would have committed and, and you wouldn't have given the game up. Uh, you would have said Absolutely. Come away and we could have all feasted on a <laughs> on a Frey Bentos, which we haven't had. It's a very good pie. No, or, or he goes to prison. And then he really learns. He gets the real education. Or no, you're not Absolutely. going to prison for stealing whatever it is. What did you get? Mentos, is that what you said? Free bentos. I don't even know what it's that a is. Tin pie. I don't even know what a free. It's a pie yeah. in a tin, David. I don't it's know. Oh, See, back to food. I don't, we don't even know what pies and tins are here. We that's. That, that's what did so you say? A tin pie. Oh my god. <laughs> I see we're going to blow your mind even more. The Frey Bentos is a real place in Uruguay. I know. And that's where they make them. It's not. And that's where it they is. Say. Frey Bentos is a, is a place, is like a town in Uruguay that would make these pies in tins. And that's why they're called Frey Bentos. did not know that. I have literally, if you take nothing else away from this podcast, take no, away hands, in fact. Please. Take the hands as well. I'm taking away so many things from this podcast. Yeah. Can't even tell you. Can't, can't even begin. It's going to have to be processed. <laughs> sit down. I'm going to have to have a bath and just really <laughs> decompress down. Before we let you go, I did have a question I always want to ask. Are you famous? No, I don't. I mean, within within um, within the, the the Outlander sphere, perhaps. Um, but with that, no, I, I don't consider myself to be. Certainly not something I dwell upon. It's not something that's particularly important to me. But, um, mm. yeah, I mean, we do get recognised a lot from, specifically, you know, um, especially this season, I'm finding. I don't know if it's because there are more viewers or because the show's more popular or whatever. If you're not famous, then why do you have such a detailed Wikipedia page? There is so much on you, Richard Harris. Right, I'm going <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to admit to you now that I haven't seen it. You um, need to look at your Wikipedia page. I particularly want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> You've never Googled yourself? No, I tend not to do that. I don't. I think that's a slippery slope. I don't really, I'm not that. I'll, I'll admit, I've, I've, I've Googled myself once or twice. It's almost 
you, you can't how can you not in this day and age? Why are you hoping to fail? Oh, just sort of a curiosity about what, what exists there on the internet that if people were to Google me, I'd want to know what they're getting. I remember I got into a bit of a fight with Wikipedia um, about one of the photos that they put up because I, I was not happy with the when I Googled, I Googled David Barry. Wikipedia is one of the first hits, right? And there was just this awful photo and, and my ego got the better of me and I was like, I can't have this photo of me on my Wikipedia page. I have to find a way of changing it. So I resubmitted a photo that I, I thought was a little more flattering. And it was there for maybe a day or two. And then I, I went back and checked up on it. And then they changed it back. And then you can go and see why they've given you the reasons. And the reason was because I was David Berry myself, that did not entitle me to actually change the photo because I was a partisan in the whole thing. So they said, you can't change this. If, and if you want to get that photo removed, you have to talk to the person directly who put it up. How about that? Yeah, I mean, that's it's crazy. Why I don't get involved in that world of <laughs> But I don't see, I mean, I don't, I think Google, it says, I, I struggle to watch myself, but I struggle to watch things that I've done. I struggle certainly to watch any sort of, I never watch playback, for example. I know some actors do that, but um, I don't find, I don't find um, any benefit. I don't find I gain anything by, myself so I certainly don't think I'll, I'll gain anything by googling myself in fact I think that could only potentially be detrimental when mm -hmm. you find out what people actually think of you or what people actually thought of a performance that you thought was good one time and it's mm -hmm. getting slaughtered online um, mm -hmm. I don't know what benefit there is in that just let them do what they want to do online because they will people will do what they want to do online and there's, nothing to, there's no way to absolutely Absolutely. But it leads me very, very, uh, very well on saying about fame and being recognized in that is, uh, I think I mentioned this to you, Richard, my mother-in-law uh, forwarded me a message from a friend of hers, all ladies of a certain age, very respectful. Uh, and she's in South Africa and uh, she watches Outlander. And she said, uh, oh, yes, you know, I saw you in Outlander and all that. And she said, oh, there's the person that plays, the plays is, it, is, it, is it Roger? Yeah, yeah, Roger, Rick, Roger. Oh, right. Yes, no, I, I, I recognised him. So I really? What? Obviously from Outlander, you're, it's, it's everywhere. No, 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 it's not. It's not from that. It's not from that. It was, um, it was a, oh, it was a comedy. Oh, I'll send it to you, she said. I'll send it to you. So she sent me a little, <laughs> a little sketch where a young, un, uh, shaven uh, Richard is sitting in a police car and two policemen come over to uh, him and, and he says, sorry, officer, what's what's happened here? And he says, well, you know, you, I think you've been speeding or something. Would you suck into this? And then Richard says, no, 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 no. You, you blow into these things and no, no, no. You, you suck this one. You suck this one. <laughs> Pitches helium. And he ends up with a very, very high-pitched voice. But basically, she recognised you from that series wow. that shown. Obviously, get onto your agent because obviously that was being shown in South Africa. I'm yeah. just saying, you know. And um, yeah, and then said, "Oh, that's so. That's how." You so I think uh, with with a lot of being known or famed, it usually comes in the, in the seemingly most unlikely of ways. Uh, you assume yeah. it's something, and you kind of go, "How on earth has anybody seen this particular?" And, and that, it's starting to make a lot more sense now why I read on your Wikipedia page for your education, Richard, since you're not going to read it, why it said Richard Rankin, actor, 
and comedian. Well, it's a great, it was a great show. That was one of my first jobs. I did a few series of that. It's a show called Burniston, which is a BBC Scotland comedy show, which I think has found its way, you know, through various channels to, to you know, international acclaim, apparently. Uh, but there's a lot of it on YouTube and things. And the boys who wrote it, Robert Florence and Ian Connell, who are great and they're good friends. I mean, they're very talented writers who also star in it. Um, you know, they, they distribute it often for free and put it out on things like Instagram, Facebook and all that, which is great because they just want to kind of share their work. Um, they are, the, they are the, the, you know, the, the comedy masterminds behind it. But people often ask me, will you ever return to comedy? I'm like, I don't really see myself as a comedian. I don't think I'm that funny. And they're like, oh my God, stop, you are. And I'm like, no, I'm serious. I don't think I'm that funny. Um, that's not really my. That's not really you know my my sort of uh, my sort of genre of acting. No, you are a very funny man, Richard Rankin. You, you are very saying, funny. Man. I'm not no, funny. I can't help but laugh at that. But um, what I was uh, going to say is, as often in the most unlikely places and unlikely of circumstances, you'll bump into people. You'll, you'll bump into random people either either at home or abroad, and they'll go. You, you know that way where someone looks at you and you think, oh, they, they, mm -hmm. they I think they know me from something. And they look yeah. at you and it takes them a while and they go and they go back to what they're doing. But five or ten minutes later, you'll have gone around the supermarket or whatever and they'll come up to you and they'll go, no, I know you. I'm like, ah, uh, yeah, like, I know you. Okay, uh, what do I know you from? Like, ah, uh, which is a question I yeah. struggle with. They're, like, they're entitled to this answer. To, you to, yeah, you want me to rhyme my CV to you? I don't know what you know you from. You're the one that has stated to me that you know me. You yeah. should find the clarity in that. I don't. I'm not going to. I'm not going to find that for you. But anyway, it yeah. often ends up being the most unlikely thing. Like the thing I did, one of the first things I did in my career, and it is often Burniston. And I think mm. when they say, "Oh, I know you," I think, "Oh, is it from you know this claimed BBC drama that you know has, has just aired that I finished filming not so very long ago with X X cast, whatever?" And they go, "No, Burniston. It's Burniston, or yeah. it's some random commercial that you've done that you really hoped would never see the light of day. Yeah. And they were not yeah, it's it's what you want. And one of them, the most obscure one that's happened once was a Bellhaven Best commercial. Bellhaven Best advert. And I was like, How are you what? Wow. How? How? What? How are you even what? How is that? How are you pulled? Yeah. Um so that is that's that's the most obscure thing, but they are. But that again, that started in much the same way. Was how do I know you, or where would I know you from? Taxi yeah. drivers are the worst for it, so I just don't tell oh. them I'm an actor. No, I, I tell them I'm actually I'm an atmospheric effects engineer, and they go okay. Wow, and they just drive because yeah. <laughs> they tend not to probe too far into. <laughs> I sometimes get where someone will come up to me and say, uh, "I know you." Know, same scenario. I know you. I know you, and you go, "Oh God, this, this is awkward." Oh, and you kind of go, right, okay, I'm looking at you. Maybe you would have seen this. Maybe you would have seen that. And I'm thinking this. And they say, did you did you work in Halfords? <laughs> and they go, what? <laughs> because you look familiar, but they can't quite place you. Or did they say, were you yeah. in Were you in Mrs. Brown's class mm -hmm. at, at Ickleford Juniors wow. in about 1986? No. What, what on earth are you talking about? Because you're very familiar. Is it, ah, oh, is it to Tesco's? You ever work in Tesco's? Because I feel like, well, WH Smith? No? Well, I don't know. And then you'll say you're an actor, they go, no, not really. No. <laughs> anyway, anyway, bye. And they'll leave. Well, I have had that, which they were disappointed that I didn't work in Halfords. I think they were obviously thinking, I need some, you know, new, some new hubcaps. <laughs> this is the guy that works in Halfords. 
he could do me a deal. Well, Richard Rankin, you're one of the most famous people I know. I'm privileged to know. Tricky Dicky. I think we've definitely gone through that and now know why. But thank you. Thank you so much for your time and uh, the little insights for the scenes. Wonderful Brie work. Um, Let's bring us back to that. Some fabulous, fabulous stuff there that will live on in the annals of Outlander uh, history. I guess. It's the only acting I'm going to get to do for months. So thank you for giving me that opportunity, truly, from my heart. <laughs> just, I just want to try a little something. It's this want, on Instagram Live. Well, they say you're only as good as your last performance, and they'll be <laughs> busting down the door after that performance. Well, thank you, gentlemen. It's been an honour and a pleasure. I said something similar, but not quite that at the start. I had a great time chatting to you both. I hope. Good. That, um, I wish good. You. It's been an absolute pleasure. Richard Rankin, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, guys. Welcome to Listener's Questions, where we'll have a little rummage to our inbox and uh, see what you've written to us. So uh, this is a wonderful letter. This one is from Doris and Richard, uh, who say, hello, we are just celebrating. Love the podcast, by the way. And are just celebrating our 80th wedding anniversary. Goodness me. Oh, oak. Congratulations. I, think. I think that's oak. Well done. Congratulations. Wow. Very much enjoyed Diana's episode especially the sex chat. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, After having been married for so long, we have decided to really spice things up in the bedroom. Okay. Okay. Uh, So we've started to read Outlander and want some suggestions as to what can really set light to, to the sheets, as it were. My husband has introduced a large vibrating egg. Okay. 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 Um, What can I do to uh to bring the goods hope you can help oh well thanks very much um well uh, richard i think it's richard really seems to have really seems to have things in hand um i suppose a few things is what does he do with this large vibrating egg um is it Mm. insertion um Mm -hmm. is it uh sort of around the the and Mm -hmm. ram it in i don't know how big you are but if you can insert Mm. a Holding the egg and maybe keep it there for a while. Um, yeah, I think that could that could only be a good thing. Um, well, I think you've you've come to the right place for advice. I mean, having spoken to Diana, we definitely know our stuff. And I think uh, Richard, what you want to do is to grab a really juicy and you want to put it in your. You want to lick it and then you want to um, all over your. Hope that helps. And always remember, kids, safe sex all the time. Remember, use protection. Absolutely. They don't, want to, they don't want to walk in and see all that skin flapping around. Thank you for listening to Outcasts. Please remember to rate, subscribe, and leave a review, as it all helps. Follow us on our Instagram page, at outcast.podcast, for all the latest updates. Or you can send us an email at outcastspodcastshow at gmail.com every week we shall select a question from one of our listeners to answer on the show the theme music is composed by kieran ledwidge all views and opinions expressed on the show are our own and have no affiliation with the series of books written by diana gabaldone or the sony stars television show outlander no animals were harmed in the making of this podcast although i did have a ham sandwich earlier so see you next time see you next time Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.